Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about unintended mechanics in games. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And uh, and so today we're talking about, well, unintended mechanics. Um, it's like a lot of things that come out of that. So, to narrow it down for a second... The thing that brought this to our attention is the presence of crouch jumping in PUBG, right? Yeah, that, that, that's part <laughs> of it. I know we, we actually talked about this, I think, a little bit about way back in episode 22, mm-hmm. um, which which had a, a section on skill, and I think we kind of addressed it as kind of like a a one-off. But um, but yeah, the crouch jumping kind of brought it to the, the forefront of our minds, and, and it's present in a lot of other games, right? Like bunny hopping. Um is is a is a mechanic that's, that's fairly universal. Also present in PUBG, um, in fighting games you have things like option selects or in like Smash Brothers wave dashing, uh, and uh, in in shooters you have various and such other movement mechanics like slides being able to be changed. This is a big Titanfall thing, um, and uh, in a lot of cases these mechanics are um, completely unintended, um, but they enter kind of the meta game. Um, right. You could even talk about things kind of like weird interactions in um in uh in Hearthstone. Like uh there was a uh there's a genie card um that um whenever you cast a spell on a uh on an allied minion it uh it also affects this genie. And so um Shadow Madness technically hastes the uh the, the enemy that you take from the other person so it will also haste your genie and this leads to all sorts of wacky combos. Um, and I think I could categorize that as, as an intended me- uh, mechanic as well. W- would you agree with that, buddy? Yeah, I think that that would make, uh, I think that that would make a, a certain amount of sense. I also think that there are plenty of, like, uh, quote-unquote, unintended mechanics that have been, like, uh, kind of normalized over the years, right? In the skills episode, we talked about the Alistar headbutt combo. Right. Um, but what... <coughs> uh, but that started as, like... You know, something unintended that the developers were like, actually, no, this is a good idea. Like, I like we're on board with it. I'm on board with it. Um, and we're going to more thoroughly kind of, like, integrate it into the game. Uh, and they eventually kind of ended up making a couple of changes, right? Like, a set of changes uh, that make the Alistar headbutt combo uh, a little bit easier uh, for, uh, you know, like, for folks out there. Which I think is very cool. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's, 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 that's a worthwhile endeavor on their, on their part. Yeah, um, I I agree, um, but I think I think uh, what kind of a lot of this comes down to is uh, is 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 how much you can, how much you you should integrate these things, and how much of this is just kind of like, like when it becomes part of the meta game of your game, is this is this uh, necessarily a good thing, or, or or should we be taking steps to either eliminate it or embrace it wholly? And and I I think that. You kind of have to. You kind of can't let it sit. For historically, you've had people, uh, developers have had to let it sit because there wasn't wasn't a lot of opportunity to patch games, right? Like not every right. internet connections weren't super universal. Um, um, the, I think the single biggest instance of this is wave dashing in in, in melee. Um, it is one of the uh, kind of uh, the 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 premier mechanics in that game that was never intended and had such um, such like ferocious backlash from the uh from the creator uh that that brawl was kind of uh i don't want to say trashed but like 
they added a lot of like anti-competitive mechanics specifically because stuff like wave dashing happened um so something that i find find very interesting about this right so i so okay so i listened to another podcast i've been listening to another podcast called dear hank and john recently uh hank green john green right big youtubers vlog brothers right crash course these guys uh and one of the things they were talking about in their podcast was like and it's just like a q a advice podcast or whatever sort of thing and somebody was talking about like what the like what the best mechanics are to win at tug of war is and somebody explained that tug of war is really more of a game of balance than strength and so it is about surges of like yankee strength which is why like going one two three pull works better than just like constantly tugging kind of a thing um, and then Hank goes on to kind of talk about it. And he's like, yeah, but like the thing is, is that once you start getting into that kind of like detail, right. And you start seriously considering the game from this kind of like competitive, uh, perspective. A lot of the time what happens is like you lose the fun perspective of it because it demands that everyone either like meet the bar of that compet like of that competition or just lose essentially, um, which is a principle that we have talked about, like, inadvertently <coughs> a lot of times on the podcast, whenever we talk about, like, um, you know, the way that optimization uh, kind of affected our League of Legends experience, right? Like, how we approach uh, Heroes of the Storm by saying, like, I don't want to know the meta. I don't want to know, like, like builds or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be ignorant to this kind of thing. Hell, how um, it even affects tabletop games, the way we play uh, Dungeons & Dragons, how... Yeah, 1,000%, uh, right? All of this stuff is is kind of grouped under this kind of, like, fun versus competition uh, uh, principle. And in a weird way, I almost think it kind of, like, opens up a third front, um, or, like, like almost like a civil war, I guess, when we talk about games as art versus, like, games as sport. Well, then there's kind of games as sport that are, like, tag, right? But then also games as sport that are, like, you know, American football or something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, where, where where one is about emphasizing, you know, maximizing fun as much as possible, uh, and the other is about maximizing kind of like competition and that and that competitiveness, uh, like as much as possible. And I think that Smash is a really interesting uh, example because Super Smash Brothers Melee got incredibly competitive incredibly quickly, you know, because of like the presence of like wave dashing and everything like that. Um, but Super Smash Brothers Brawl, right? Like the thing, like tripping and stuff like that. These are these are anti-competitive mechanics that are meant to make the game. Also, things like Final Smash, right? That are meant to make the game more fun. Um, as, as like a couch game, you know, like as a couch competitive yeah. kind of uh, game. And by the way, I would say that they are successful in that, um, and uh, and that that's kind of like. And that that kind of thing is uh, uh, is like ultimately okay, and uh, and this also calls back, man. This is like a huge like callback episode. This also calls back to how we talked about PUBG when we were first talking about it. When it's like I don't really think that there's an esport here, right? Which is funny because now all of a sudden there's a three hundred dollar prize pool at Gamescom, um, but it's like you know we we. Uh, um, and, and we've been playing so much PUBG after that that, like, I don't even know if that principle still holds up, you know, like, four weeks after we recorded that other episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I, but I'm still, hmm. I, I don't know. That, that's interesting because it's still, like, I'm still not <coughs> aggravated when I'm playing PUBG, right? Like, I'm not I'm not aggravated, um, like, when I lose early, right? Like, they're just kind of like, oh, that's the way the game is, um... I don't know. I also don't think I care. 
to play it competitively. Um, even though I do find myself caring like mildly about my ranking, but not so much that I like care care if that makes sense. Where like I'm excited when I'm in the top hundred thousand um, players, which I am right now on squads. Brush brush the shoulders off. Oh holy uh, shit! Uh, I actually yeah. increased three. I was I was I was about five hundred thousand. I was like four hundred fifty thousand, and I'm now one hundred twenty six thousand. Thank you very much. After yeah. our check after our chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually top thirty thousand, but they also don't have rankings for first person servers, which oh, is all I've been playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For a yeah. while. So, uh, but yeah, that's. That's um, but I actually I, I, that's that, that that's only tangentially related, um, um, and I, I think this is a good thing to kind of kind of bring in because crouch jumping in PUBG, isn't I don't think, as necessary, a skill to master, as something like wave dashing or option selects would are in kind of in 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 their respective games, uh, Smash Brothers and uh, and uh, various essentially fighting games. Or like the Alistar combo is in League of Legends, um, uh, because um, I guess because like the, the the spread is still always kind of far in PUBG, right? Like like you will get to a point in a fighting game um, where you will need to start mastering some of these esoteric things. Um, I'm not even talking about like intended mechanics like frame data. Obviously, I'm talking about um, these objects. Like it's it's interesting to see that, and I guess an attempt to kind of appeal to a broader base. Um, Street Fighter has been actively removing option selects. Um, now, for the folks at home who don't know, an option select is where you input um, kind of a combination of inputs that essentially gets read differently depending on context, and it always comes out with a positive result uh, regardless. One of the most famous ones uh, was in Street Fighter 4, which is the iteration before this one, where if you crouched and pressed light punch and light kick um which is the th the the throw button combination if the, your opponent attempted to throw you it would tech the throw meaning it would uh counter the throw um and if he didn't you'd get out a jab which was relatively safe if i'm remembering correctly correctly uh don't listeners don't ca castigate me if i've got that slightly wrong but essentially it was a no lose situation for that um and things like that led street fighter 4 to be a game that was known for being relatively uh, defensive rather than being a more aggressive offensive game. Like, uh, it seems like they've tried to make Street Fighter V. Um, but along with this has come um, a level of kind of accusations against Capcom that uh, Street Fighter V is kind of meant for uh, meant, meant for noobs, kind of. Maybe that's, maybe that's a little bit strong, but Street Fighter V isn't a very good game because, um, not specifically because of option selects, but because a lot of these kind of, um, competitive elements, uh, th these kind of, like, knowledge gap elements are being pulled out in favor of, uh, in, in favor of, um, not only higher execution, but also kind of the, the, the ability for matches to go swingier, which, which is, I think, a, a larger principle, but I do think that pulling out option selects is, is, is a major part of that, and pulling out these kind of, like, uh, high skill hidden tech things is, is part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like the fighting game community is built on this in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I'm I'm reminded of a Reddit post I saw recently. I don't know if you saw this about the like the finals of a For Honor tournament, and For Honor being a fighting game, kind of like it's as its own conversation. Right. Um, 
But like they were, they essentially posted these videos about how For Honor is just terribly balanced from a competitive, uh, from like a competitive perspective, which is actually very interesting to me because it's one of the first releases of these things. I mean, I think PUBG is also badly balanced. Hashtag controversial opinions, but um, uh, it's it's interesting to see one of these huge multiplayer games get released in a poor state of balance um, and kind of get hit for that in a really like public way uh essentially the raider you know like this berserker barbarian thing uh with like the big long axe um uh has an option select about a throw or something like that that like is just really really broken and so people only ever play uh this uh people only ever play like this character in the finals of these tournaments and it's always just like raider v raider um and I guess the game just isn't uh, like a, a certain part of me seems like thinks that like meta that metas and like balance is better than that um, in a lot of games. Like for instance, Magic: The Gathering has for a long time had a pretty good self-correcting balance, um, where it's like if something rises really hard in the meta, the thing that rises uh, is the thing that beats the first thing almost. You know what I mean? And you kind of get like the cyclical nature of it. That's how it worked in Smash, right? But I think you just kind of have to have, like, a baseline level of just balance in the game um, and kind of polish in the, in the game from, like, the developer's perspective in order to make that work. <coughs> yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I think I absolutely uh, agree with that. I also think that, like, um, you also have, like, you, you have to be willing to kind of jump in immediately and, and take care of these things. Like, the problems with For Honor have been kind of apparent from a very early stage. Like, within a week or two of that game releasing. Hell, I think even in parts of the beta, people were saying that the game essentially relies too much on defense. And very few characters have options to actually go outside of that. Um, and, play, and, and play offensively. That, like, don't put you at, like, a... a a, a huge disadvantage right like playing offensively in for honor um uh as as far as i haven't played the game in a while but at least when i was playing it uh, playing offensively was, was just straight up a poor way to uh, apply to play if you wanted to to win games um kind of like how uh, playing aggressive in PUBG is uh, a poor strategy if you uh if you want to win games but it's also um a little bit more fun that way in fact intensely more fun i think um uh, and and the difference there is that uh, is that For Honor wants to be kind of this this kind of intensely competitive game, um, and when you get these little these little things like the 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 uh, what you said it was the Raider was is the one that's 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 yeah, over yeah, yeah. Um, when you get these little kind of pieces of unintended tech that um, that push one character slightly over the edge, um, it comes to dominate the meta, um, as in uh, Super Smash Brothers. Um, uh, I've had, a uh, um, f essentially friends who are more in the know, uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Rohan, um, not that Rohan, the other Rohan fans of the cast will know, um, say that the, the, essentially the, the melee, uh, meta is stale, um, and has been because, um, essentially there are only so many characters that can work within, um, that can work within the, the kind of tools that have been pulled out of that game, um. And that doesn't always have an end, end uh, kind of a tail end on it, um, like or does it's not always immediately apparent. Like Smash Melee has been around for what it's got to be a decade now, right? Um, and it took a while for the meta to get stale because people were still were continuously able to pull more points of tech out, 
Um, and you had you had some variation in the meta just kind of as people were pushing the system to its limits. Um, but I think that, but ultimately at this point we're at a stage where uh, you there's nothing left, or it feels like there's nothing left. The game's been played to death. Um, we're at a point where players are hunting down rare uh, controllers because you need a special, especially defective controller to properly play the game. You need to play the game on like old CRTs to get to get it to work right. Um, it's uh, we're, we're kind of pushing the the end state of that game because it's got no update mechanic. Um, and I think this is kind of like the first point where you can, where you can really point at something and say that these unintended mechanics, while they will, while you can ride on them for a while, a long while, in a lot of cases, eventually they will wear themselves out and you need an active hand, uh, from the developer, uh, to, to either embrace these mechanics and actively balance them against everything else that's happening, or you need to, um, or you need to eliminate them from the game. Um, and push the game in a different direction. Um, although I do think I, w I would say that uh, to that second option of eliminating them, you do in that in that case risk alienating a lot of your a uh, lot of your your fan base. Not necessarily in this kind of Street Fighter way that I was talking about earlier, but in the kind of way of when people come to rely on these mechanics, if you suddenly pull it out from under them, uh, they're not going to be ha uh, they're not going to be happy because all the time they've invested in in a making those mechanics work, right? Like, if if the League of Legends team had just eliminated that interaction from Alistar, um, you would have eliminated... Uh, you would have not eliminated, but you would have alienated a lot of Alistar players. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, I think the Alistar example is a weaker one because it's only one hero. But when you have, like, a... Um, yeah, I mean, a wave dash is, is uh, you know, it's tech that anyone can do. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, which I think is is kind of like the dangerous. Uh, it's like the dangerous aspects uh, of all of this kind of uh, stuff is like when you start talking about, um, you know, uh, unintended. And, and like as a developer, when you start to like realize that these things exist and you have to kind of take either credit for them and integrate them or kind of not or whatever, right? Like uh, it, it's something that you can be the foundation of the game in certain uh in certain instances yeah um <laughs> just to call another example um this is this is my favorite one to hate on um but in in dota 2 there are some some kind of relic mechanics from uh dota 1 that were intentionally re-implemented in dota 2 because the old game was that way um my, my least favorite one the one i love to really get the most is the blink dagger one which is if you click outside the range of the blink dagger you oh, go God. Uh, you go some some. I think the maximum blink range is like 600 units, and if you click outside the range, you'll only go 400. Um, and I think that that's terrible. Yeah. But in another way, I can understand that like maybe the right decision for Dota 2 is for it to be that way because that's the way the diehard fans like want it to be. Um, I I think we talked about this again back in mm -hmm. back in episode 22, but um, um, if uh, you know. If, if kind of like you're, even if it's, it's, it's bad design, it might be the right decision for your game. If, if it's, uh, if it's kind of what it, what, what it's, it's, it's fully built on. Um, and, and I think, I think that's actually an in interesting point to explore. How much do you, how, how much value do you think something like the community wanting it to be there is worth over, uh, over like it's it, the rationality of its inclusion or, or the goodness of the design, um, 
Uh, I think players, man, this is going to sound really mean. I think players are uh, fickle and they will get over it. Um, I mostly think this because of WoW having taught me this kind of a thing. Um, where, you know, they, like WoW has pretty much always had a policy, it seems, of removing harmful things from the game and changing things for the better. Like, I agree with a lot of the design decisions that they make. Um, and not, like, leaving in kind of, like, legacy design decisions. Um, and, uh, and I think players just move on. You know, like, I understand that it's, like, frustrating, but I think players just, like, end up moving on. And not all of those design decisions, like, pan out, right? Because, you know, games are big and they're very unwieldy, and a lot of the times you need to change a lot of things at once, and those kinds of, like, big unwieldy changes can have really unintended, uh, kind of consequences, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have a tough time, um... Like, I have a tough time saying, you know what, I'm going to leave in a mechanic that I know to be worse because the players like it so much. Uh, I, what I, but the, like, the caveat here is that no to be worse because I think there are plenty of times when players are right about a mechanic, right? Uh, and they can kind of make the, make the case and it's an appropriate case to make that says, you know what, this, uh, this kind of unintended, uh, unintended mechanic is a good thing for the game and you should keep it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think that's possible, right? Yeah. No, I, I, definitely, I definitely agree with you there. WoW has had a long, has had a really long history of this sort of thing. Uh, just in the sense of like a lot of the times the way that the game was built, because it's, it was kind of like built on like the ashes of like EverQuest design. Um, and before like WoW was just a better EverQuest uh, in its kind of initial release, like, it shared a lot of mechanics with EverQuest, but then, like, as it got on, it changed and changed and changed and changed away from that kind of, like, baseline template, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, when, like, when that happens, um, there, there's a lot of, like, like, holdover mechanics that ended up getting, like, filtered out. Like, the best example of this is snapshotting dots, right? Snapshotting a dot is where if I have a buff, right, if I have a buff that increases my attack power by, you know, this much and my bleeds are all keyed to my attack power, if I apply that, if I apply that bleed while I have my buff running right that and and then the buff runs out that bleed is still ticking because it was applied when i had like this super crazy maxed out version of the thing it's still ticking at that higher uh like that higher rate this is something that world of warcraft had had in even up until legion uh though they've made like various changes to kind of like decrease the effectiveness of snapshotting a lot along the way um and i think snapshotting was never an intended mechanic you know what i mean i think it was mostly just uh the way uh you know like the way the game was coded and once people got really competitive about end game pve and about pvp stuff like that it became clear that you needed to be you know what i mean that like you needed to respond to that stimuli um and uh that stimulus um and um I don't know. They and you know they have eventually changed it to now to where everything just auto snapshots in real time, <coughs> which I think is the better decision. Overall. A, what do you mean? But you mean you mean it? it the the ticks adjust to whatever your current stats yeah. are as opposed whatever to your current you, stat line is. Yeah, whatever your current stat line is, um, it will uh, it will auto adjust, right? So like if all of a sudden you get a whole bunch of haste, that means that your uh, uh, that means that your um, 
ticks your your, your ticks will go faster uh for the duration of that haste and that's it okay um so question then um are, are the ticks kind of universal or do you still have you still have an issue where like say if you cast it at just the right moment, you'll get a couple more ticks inside of your window. Is, is that, that also that's... used to happen? So, uh, the like the tick rate meant that there are breakpoints on haste, right? Because haste increases or decreases. Then I mean, this this hasn't been the case for all like all time because haste wasn't really a statistic for a while. Right. Um, but like you know, the way that a haste deals with dots is that it it adds progressively more and more ticks into, um, uh like into the dot right so that's that's what yeah. it used to be so you would have 18 seconds of dots right and it would tick every three seconds but then with the more haste you got you could shove that down and get one extra tick in there right and that increases the damage by a whole bunch but if you have just below like whatever that haste number is right like 1587 haste or whatever um if you have 1586 haste you have no benefit from all of that haste and if you have 1588 haste that plus one haste you get is worthless uh they eventually changed it so that it just it depresses the like like you get a certain number of ticks per thing um but it depresses the whole duration of it so when you reapply so like you can reapply it faster and then that way you get like your your more your more ticks and your uptime okay. is better okay um but is, is there still like you know let's say i i haven't played wild in a while but you you pull off some buff that gives you increased damage for um 10 seconds um, is there like a, uh, an aspect of timing your haste so that you get the most ticks inside that 10 seconds? The only, so the only instance I know about this, um, is for things, uh, like big, big cooldowns, right? Like, like okay. warriors have battle cry that increases their crit rate by 100%. Um, when you do, so you, it's, it's not, it's not about, it's not about like the one ability. It's about all these abilities in tandem, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and so if you have rent, rend, which is a talent that allows you to apply a bleed, Right. Um, you, you want to get in there, uh, apply Colossus Smash increases a bunch of damage or whatever, and then hit Rend, which puts the bleed on them, right? And then after that, now you hit Battlecry, um, because, and, and you, and you might be tempted, okay, well, I'm going to charge in, pop Battlecry immediately, right? But because applying the bleed is less valuable than whatever else you would kind of put in the, you know, like, put in that global cooldown slot, um, right, but you want to have the bleed running so that all of your bleed ticks during the duration of Battlecry tick at, you know, tick at a crit. Uh, what you want to do is you want to get in there and let three seconds go by, essentially, where you apply Colossus Match with the big, which is a big debuff, apply your bleed so that it's ticking, and then you apply Battlecry and you hit your really powerful big spenders like Mortal Strike um, that are going to crit for the most damage. That kind of tech still happens and is like. Uh, and is and is definitely kind of encouraged by the game. Yeah, but I, I feel this is kind of where like that that, that kind of feels like an an, an, uh, an intentional thing, right? Like you you wanna you wanna have the level of skill where like you don't want you don't want WoW to just be like press the numbered buttons in order right, and play right. DDR essentially. Yeah. Um. Uh. But um, with 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 this kind of just kind of use this, this dot example since it's obviously. Um, one that we've got a, a, a fair amount of experience in. Um, how, in, in terms of like real effect, how much, how important was it actually, right? Like, um, 
uh, something like in fighting games, uh, kind of like the competitive edges, the, the competitive aspect of fighting games is a large reason why they're popular. Um, and they're not super popular, but but the aspect of their popularity is largely tied to I think the fighting games community, um, and and a lot of that and the ability to kind of like watch these high level tournaments. And so, um, things that are kind of uh, damaging and pernicious in the in the competitive sense, like things like like these these kind of oppressive option selects, really hurt those games on the whole. Um, mm -hmm. Wow, rating is kind of an idealized thing in the very hardcore care a lot about these things, but how much did it matter, do you think, to like your, your average player? Not very much at all. Uh, well, so in, in olden times, it mattered a lot, but as the as like the game has gone on and the artifacts that we still have of it today, right, like this battle cry thing, the difference between optimally performing that battle cry and not optimal optimally performing it are just not that much. Uh, because the game, you know what I mean? Like, because the game's, uh, like, measures your DPS output in a, uh, uh, like, in an overall sense, more so than in a, uh, like, in a, than in that kind of burst sense, um, these little optimizations, even though, like, the difference between doing it and not doing it has, like, a big value kind of in, uh, you know, like, in an absolute sense, right? Like, if you, if you measure them up to more, like, if you measure this, like, 10 second time period up to one another, right? Um, you might be like, oh my god, I get 1.2 million extra damage by doing it the right way versus the wrong way. And that's an increase of, like, you know, 30%, right? 30% is a big increase. But the thing is, because WoW, like, WoW fights and PvE like this aren't measured in 10 second increments, they're measured in, like three five seven minute increments or whatever being a little bit be being 30 percent better inside of that 10 second window isn't actually going to drive your dps numbers up all that much um and therefore like the change between doing it and not doing it all across the whole fight right is maybe like one or two percent right um so it's not a, so it's not a huge you know it's not a huge deal um but it used to be a much bigger one, right? Like, it used to be something that, like, if you were not snapshotting your dots appropriately as a warlock, right, like as an affliction warlock, you were, you were, you were just performing in the gutter um, because of uh, how, how much that mattered, right? Right. Because but, but, if you but, think about, like, the way, like, I mean, the snapshots work, you have two trinket slots, both of which can be on use to give you a huge ton of, like, you know, like, statistics or whatever. And then you have, like, cooldowns. And so if you drop a dot and lose the snapshotted version of it, um, all of a sudden you are in huge trouble. So, so, but in, inside of that, like, that matters a lot to raiding warlocks, right? Right. Does that, like, how, like, at your estimation, how much of the population is that? Right, like during oh, this time period, yeah, during this time period where, where where people are being angry about this, because I I do remember some of kind of like the hand wringing about this, um, uh, in in the uh, older olden days, um, how much how much of the population is is actually affected by this as compared to this this kind of vocal, um, what I assume is a minority of of, of hardened raiders. Uh, I think it's very few. Uh, I honestly think a lot of these kinds of responses are they changed it and changes is terrifying kind of responses more so than anything else um i see this a lot of times uh with with players where they kind of assume motivations for changes that aren't like 
accurately explained for them league of legends kind of pioneered this where they would go through everything in the patch notes and explain why they changed everything but it used to just be they would release patch notes and it was up to everyone to figure out why these changes got made uh and a lot of the times you you assume you like assume really poor things uh, of, of course it was because blizzard hates you in particular yeah exactly right you know and so i think i think a lot of it is that um and i think a lot of uh, uh I, I well okay to just answer the question uh, not very many, probably five to ten percent of the player base really care that much. Yes. I think, to be honest, WoW. I mean, WoW has an older player base in general. Uh, I think, to be honest, a lot of WoW players were like me, and they saw this change, and they were like, "Oh, thank God! I don't want to have to do this dumb bullshit <laughs> in order to perform like optimally." So, so um, kind of in in the same vein. So, I, I think I think we've identified kind of three kind of sets. Um, it, tell tell me if you think I'm wrong. We've got um, kind of the the Street Fighter end of things, where um, these these changes um, are important to kind of the group as a whole and affect the game in a major way. Um, uh, it, it, these the unintended mechanics affect the game in a major way, um, kind of for everyone. Um, this WoW set, where these unintended mechanics don't actually affect most of the population, but do affect kind of the most hardcore um, version of, this, of the population, which I think is actually... Um, True for most of these changes, mm. um, and then you've got this pub, these PUBG mechanics, which are like the crouch jump, um, kind of like crawling through windows in random buildings, which um, even for the most hardcore, only are very situationally useful, um, and I don't think will cause any huge amount of consternation if they remain in the game or if they don't. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think with the WoW version, and also in things like League of Legends, right, you get into a point where you have to start balancing the game around uh, these things, right? This is the reason that Alistar was so, ner like, nerfed into the ground for so long, was because the headbutt-pulverized combo wasn't something that people had intended, Al Al like, Alistar to have, right? He was meant to, like, headbutt was supposed to get people away from things, right? Pulverize was supposed to, you know, like, give him a PB AoE, point-blank AoE, you know, like, crowd control thing, right? But all of a sudden, now you have the ability for Alistar to be an initiator, right? Into any, like, into any situation he can, you know, waltz in, uh, hit his headbutt, pulverize, and it's like a mal, it's like a malfight alt, right? It starts the fight off. Um, and these are problems because now, you know, you've given this character an unintended kind of like, like extra set of things. And so you have to balance around that. Otherwise it'll get abused by the, by like the core set of players that can abuse it. Right. The wow example is like, if you have a, if you balance around, um, like not snapshotting for your affliction warlocks, then everyone plays affliction warlocks and snapshots appropriately. And the Lich King dies in like six seconds. You know what I mean? Uh, and so you either have to choose to balance around these unintended mechanics or um, you get rid of the unintended mechanics to to like kind of preserve the balance as you've originally intended it sort of thing. And I don't think PUBG has a similar, uh, uh, like I don't think PUBG has kind of a, a, a like, like a similar, like I, there's not, like what else do, what else do you balance about that? Like, I don't know, maybe being able to crouch jump out of windows means that there are more escape routes out of buildings than otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's not a huge effect. It's not like things really need to be balanced around the presence or absence of a, of a crouch jump. And frankly, I think, I mean, like I said before, I think PUBG does not have very good balance at the moment. Um, uh, I think that there are just much bigger balance things to tackle than that. Yeah. I, I also think that like, the, the new vaulting system that they they keep demoing um, is probably going to 
kind of eliminate the need to do like this physical mastery of the crouch jump. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it looks like it looks like a lot of like the 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 uh, the vaulting is going to to do a lot of the things that the crouch jump does for you. Yeah, I mean, um, I really like. I think I really like vaulting. And I think that it's uh, it's a good addition. I mean, payday as actually has crouch jumping, uh, but it's very easy. You know, payday has a much easy the the. The player character is much easier to control than in PUBG, um, so uh, being able to hit crouch jumps is, is much easier in comparison. Yeah. Um, something else I wanted to comment on is, is, is I think that kind of like the rise of esports makes a lot of these unintended mechanics um, a lot more important because one, they're much more widely known, um, and two, I think player, I think even your non-hardcore players and your non-high-skilled players um, perceive the game to that high level of play with these unintended mechanics, even if it's not actually happening in their game. Right. Right? Like, especially with something like League of Legends. People people are angry about balance at the LCS level, even though the balance silver level is probably a lot more relevant to that them is, immediately. That, that concept is something that I find just so fundamentally interesting and I see it constantly and I and I just want to like I just want to know like psychologically like kind of where that uh, uh, you know like where that comes from. Like there's kind of a story and maybe it's apocryphal but like it's, uh, it's this story about how like um there were some changes to Vlad in like the patch notes, um, and uh, but like but like a bug in the way that the patch went live meant that those changes didn't actually hit. But players, like like first of all, so first of all, players reacted incredibly poorly, right? Like oh, I've just played like ten games on the new Vlad, and I can confirm that he sucks, right? Like so so first you yeah. have that, right? But then, and this is the thing that I find incredibly interesting, right? His win rate depreciably dropped, right? No changes got made, but the perception of changes, it, it, like made his win rate tank by like three or four percent. Um, which is just like an insane phenomenon to me. I find that incredibly interesting, uh, and I and I and you know people have offered a variety of different explanations for kind of like why that exists. Um, uh, but I I just I I don't know. I just think it's that that's I, that's a really I, interesting kind of compelling thing. I I agree with you to a certain extent, but I do think a I think a lot of these things are like a change gets made to a character. People who don't normally play the character want to see how the changes feel, and they play the character. They are unskilled at the character and so are less likely to win with that character. Um, therefore, win rate goes down. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely, and, and I think that there are definitely, uh, uh, like, plenty of kind of, like, logical things, like, logical solutions that you could kind of apply right. to that, right? Like, another popular one is um, there are changes to the character, and so if you are well-versed in the character, like, well-versed in the character, you end up outthinking kind of yourself and playing more conservatively um, or, uh, or trying to, like, compensate for changes that don't exist, and that compensation drives your win rate down, right? Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, there, there, there's a bunch of different explanations for, like, kind of, like, why this takes place, um, but I just think it's, it's like, super interesting, um... Yeah, no. Uh, I, to see to see like how players react, both like in a in a kind of like placebo environment and a non placebo environment, because there are plenty of times when like big hit changes get like made, but a win rate of a character doesn't go down at all, right? And so the, the where like why that happens is is just that's just interesting. 
I just find that really interesting. Yeah. So I actually have a kind of a through line from the past couple episodes to this. Um, and that's, that's kind of, when do you think an unintended mechanic becomes an exploit? Ooh. Um, because I think there's gotta be a line there somewhere, right? Like, um, and you know, I think the obvious answer, like, like the, the obvious easy answer is when the developer says so. Um, but I think I, I, I want to approach this more from like a, a design perspective. Do you, yeah, do you have yeah, any no, I thoughts? definitely, I definitely agree, uh, that I, that I, that I think it would be better to approach it from kind of like a design perspective. Um, I think a, uh, an unintended mechanic becomes an exploit when it doesn't have kind of a countermeasure, if that makes sense. Um, or like a suit, like kind of like a suitable countermeasure, right? Like it's an exploit for destiny to drive through like walls um, and kill people with them because those people just didn't have uh, like a good way to respond to that. You know what I mean? There's good ways to respond, even to like wave dashing, right? Like there's good ways to respond to that. Um, there there are good ways to respond to the Alistar headbutt combo uh, uh, and. Um, uh, but I think kind of like there isn't a similar presence um, of a of a of a just a state of a state of affairs, right? Like or, or like a state of the game that allows you to compensate for that exploit's existence. You know what I mean? Like on on the receiving end. Okay. Um, hmm. Do I agree with that? I I I feel like I feel like you might even be like hmm. Because, like, wave dashing definitely, like, there's some characters who just can't respond to that. And there, there, there are some things, like, there's some of these unintended mechanics lead to kind of some characters being basically unviable in, in a lot of situations. Um, do you think that's enough to drive it to, to, to kind of, like, exploit territory? Uh, that to me is more of a balance issue. Uh, so the inter so the, the the intersection between like kind of like balance and design is also something that I think is kind of like unexplored. To me, uh, balance is is almost purely a numbers game, uh, whereas design like 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 the fundamental design of a character can be wrong, uh, where no amount of balance can fix it. You know what I mean? Like you just can't pump numbers, uh, or or uh, decrease numbers enough. Uh, to make up for, you know, like, to make up for the the perceived lack, I guess, um, the, of, of, like, of true balance, whatever that looks like uh, in one way or another. And, like, and there are some, uh, there are, like, there are times when people say, like, oh, yeah, this, this is terribly balanced. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that it's terribly balanced. I think it's that it just has bad design. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that you could tweak the numbers on this system and get a good system out of it essentially is the difference between like 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 balance and design stuff and so i think that there are two cases uh of what you're describing right like i think there's a version of things where you say you know what bowser as he is designed in super smash brothers whatever is just completely just he, there there's no way to make him good right you can't you can't increase the damage of his smash attacks increase the kind of like pushback of his smash attacks enough that like 
you can that people will say yep bowser is competitive now without you know at the same time overblowing the character and making him like completely op sort of thing right and you could say that yep bowser has fundamental design problems that need to be reworked and fixed before we can implement bowser or you can do the other approach of it where you say like yeah okay bowser isn't is not viable but it's just because his numbers are bad you know what i mean all you really need to do is like pump up the knockback on his head but pump up the knockback uh or like the percent damage on his headbutt right give him a really powerful smash attack and maybe you know like increase his weight by 20 percent or whatever and he's fine sort of thing right like um it's 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 all it's kind of either or uh in in uh in those cases right a good example bowser i don't think is a very good example because he is like marginally viable in all of the smash games uh in some form or another kind of thing um of design flawed uh, uh like unviability right but like for instance rise is a great example of that they keep trying to fix this character by doing this like machine gun mage thing or whatever but they just never seem to be able to get it right which is the reason that he keeps getting reworked from the ground up in order to make him good um in league of legends um uh so that i don't know that's my that's my thought on that stuff yeah no that that makes sense i i, I, I for the life of me i'm trying to figure out a counterexample to your to your kind of base rule of like if if it's respondable then it's then it's not an exploit um but i i can't think of one so i i think you've kind i think you've kind of hit it on the head there that's uh, really good because i just made that up on the spot or not made it up but i just right. kinda, it was my it's my kind of off the cuff answer yeah um, i think if i were to argue against myself for a second um the biggest thing is that like there you know like it's is that the line is not bright uh, I think it is very blurry, right. um, and that there are and that there are times when you could say, I have no like I I think it it might be viable for someone to say something like there's just nothing that I can do to stop an Alistar from engaging on me. You know what I mean? Like once he hits me with that thing, I know I'm getting knocked up. You know what I mean? And I'm being engaged upon, and that's bad, right? And I think the proper answer to that is something along the lines of like, yeah, you need to play with that in mind and keep your distance from Alistar and know that he can engage on you, right? And be, you know, be aware of the, his kind of like engage radius uh, and all of that kind of, uh, and all of like that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, uh, but I think, but like that is a very kind of, uh, like unscientific answer if that makes sense um and uh, and so the line and so the, like the line between what is an exploit and what isn't an exploit is uh, is really tough to 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 draw yeah, yeah. so so, uh, so let, let, me, let me let me give you an example of something that i've seen a bunch that i'm not sure um like it doesn't seem on face like uh, like an exploit to me but i still want to kind of put it through this because i think it's one of these kind of like ones that's kind of near the edge right um so in in PUBG, um, there are these two story houses that have the balconies, um, the, uh, yeah. the the ones that the wire ones that kind of jut out from the house. And if you open the door out and you jump on the rail of the balcony and you jump on top of the door and you can jump on top of the house, and then you can um, usually sometimes these are in pairs. Um, I've seen this like uh, maybe a dozen times on the the PUBG subreddit. Uh, it's kind of like a highlight. You jump from roof to roof. And then you jump onto the corresponding balcony on, like, kind of the same house on the other side. And you kill a guy from behind who is looking down the stairwell. Because that's what he assumes is the only point of entry. Um, now, I think that's a very clever use of mechanics. And on face, it doesn't seem like an exploit to me. But at some level, it does kind of fundamentally fuck with what you expect, the, how you expect the game to work. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and kind of... I feel like I feel like I feel like it's obviously an unintended mechanic, um, right. 
Um, and while, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't think that that's so much an obvious exploit to be called an exploit in terms of, like, punishment or whatever, but do you think that's a thing that, that, um, that, that, that should be considered, I guess, exploity enough that they should remove it? Uh... Yeah, I think this falls into that gray area between... That, to me, does sound like an exploit, actually. Um, I may be misunderstanding uh, the way it... I may be misunderstanding, <coughs> but it sounds like the initial part of that, where you're kind of... Um, uh, Is it... Like, using using the... the I, don't, I don't know. That, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it seems weird to me that you can jump... That you would be able to, like, jump up onto things from the balcony like that. I guess. That yeah. seems wrong. I mean, what, it, what it relies on is the fact that the doors have physics to them. Yeah, and so yeah, you can yeah. jump on top of the door the, the door itself um, and then get to the roof from there. Um, kind of just barely. In fact, you might even have to crouch jump to do it. I could be wrong about that. Um, um, and that in itself, um, you know, there are a variety of situations where you can get yourselves on roofs, right? Like by ramping mm -hmm. off of various things yep. um, and vehicles. Uh, when roofs aren't typically a, a play space, and so you can surprise people by being on a roof. Um, uh, in fact, I, I, found, I saw a whole video of um, with the U.S.'s that are not the hardtop ones. You can jump on the bumper and then jump on the tire and then run around in kind of the cage on top and use that to get to places on buildings that you're not normally able to. Like, you can, in those garage-style buildings, you can use the U.S. to jump on top of the U.S., jump on top of the... There's a wood... Um, kind of awning over the back door and then you use that to get to the, the open air uh, second level and then get in through the second level that way potentially surprising someone who's not uh, prepared for that um, and that kind of you know I mean I definitely don't think that's an exploit in terms of like you should be banned for it but it definitely mm -hmm. seems kind of like a very unintended mechanic that um, oh again only applicable in kind of like these very rare situations um is one that, that, that affects, that, that kind of separates the, the players in the know from the players who don't. And I, I, think, I think ultimately that's actually a huge part of these unintended mechanics in the first place is that it requires a level of knowledge, not only that's outside of kind of like um, your typical player's set of knowledge, it's outside of any sort of recorded set of knowledge, like any sort of official recorded set of knowledge. There's no, there's no amount of reading of the official PUBG documentation that will tell you those things. Right. Um, um, and, and I um, and I think that's I think that's a, a, a big a big part of it. I um, yeah, I agree. I don't know. I, I also think that it, it'll be tough to like hold um, PUBG really accountable for these kinds of things because the game is in early access. Sure. And that does get to kind of like absolve it of uh, a good amount of kind of um, not like responsibility, but you know, uh, it, it, it buys them kind of time and the goodwill to fix things. Yeah. Um, and I think if people like, I, I, I would feel like it would be unfair, um, uh, for people to assume or kind of like demand that things work in this kind of way when, you know, I don't know that, 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 that's, that's just something I wanted to say about that. Um, yeah, no, uh, th so yeah. Th th that absolutely makes sense. Um, uh, it's kind of, um, yeah, uh, but, you know, I, I think that it's kind of get, like, wound back into this, 
like the the meme on the subreddit right now is like you know uh like esports ready um whenever one of these glitches shows up um oh is it (laughs) yeah um uh, actually the uh yesterday um uh me and uh friend of the cast monic loaded into a game and we had the play-doh buildings problem where like the the distant textures rendered in but they when we got close they didn't render to regular textures so we couldn't like actually going to, or we could go into the building. Oh, no uh, yeah, yeah, there. yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and then when we w- moved further away, um, uh, some of the buildings hadn't rendered in at all. And it's, it's funny cause, um, like it happened for both Monik and I, um, like so, at the same time. And like, this is immediately after, um, our other friend, uh, X, like, like the game, like, wouldn't run on like he the steam claimed that it wasn't installed and it like uninstalled itself from his computer or something um so you know that game has its uh that game has its share of flaws um right. and you know i i understand kind of the impulse to kind of jump and grab at like you know the popularity to kind of push this this competitive stuff mm-hmm. but i don't know if the game's you know quote unquote esports ready um, yeah, me neither. And I think it's honestly just not a good. I I can't imagine. I don't know. I just don't think PUBG will ever make a good esport. Uh, I so I think it will. Like, so this is kind of a different discussion, but I I, I think it's I think it's interesting enough to have. Um, that like, it will be a decent esports in terms of I think people will enjoy watching it. I don't think it will be a good esports in terms of being a fair and balanced game ever. I think by design, it's not right. Like by design, you've got random stuff, you know, you've got random drops that you can never, um, you, you can never predict with any accuracy. And so, you know, you might just never get a, a piece of gear that like, you know, assuming two players of equal skill, there are weapons that will beat out other weapons, um, at certain ranges and distances. And you can't, um, you can't ever guarantee that you'll get a, uh, a, a essentially um, viable loadout. I guess I, I'm sure you can, we can reduce to some point. Um, and at that point, I, I think the game, the, the randomness prevents the game from ever being um, a truly competitive game. But I think that doesn't keep it from being. I don't think being a non-competitive game means it can't be an esport because I think enough people will enjoy watching it, right? Like, like kind of the concept that the game that the games are based on, like. I don't know, the Hunger Games or Battle Royale, right? Those were not balanced sports, right? Like, but they were entertaining for the fictional audiences to watch. I think in real life, they would be entertaining to watch as well. Um, I think that's all you ultimately need for it to be um, a viable kind of piece of entertainment. Yeah, I guess maybe. Um, uh in a weird way, it's almost like, like, have you heard about this ESPN, the Ocho thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, in a weird way, I almost kind of think it's a little bit more fitting for, like, that, where it's kind of, like, the novelty of watching someone play competitive dodgeball or competitive tag or whatever uh, is 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 almost like a... Well, actually, it's not about the novelty as much as it is about, like, people taking this game that is designed purely for fun... Uh, super competitively seriously, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I I feel like it maybe even has a space as kind of like a like a non sports show sport, like the ones that like you see on like network shows, like like an American Gladiator or like whatever the American version of um, most extreme elimination challenges. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because they made that into a real thing. And I mostly think that, like, I, I mostly think that it's about RNG more than anything else uh, that, that kind of keeps PUBG from this kind of, like, from this stuff. Uh, because, uh, you know, like, I think a little bit of RNG is, is useful and important because reacting to things <coughs> that you can't predict uh is you know like a, like a core part of strategy or whatever uh but it, you know it would just be a really it would be a very tough thing for me to tell for for you to tell me that somebody winning a match of PUBG or even winning like best 2 out of 3 right <sighs> like how do you even police best 2 out of 3 when it's like a bunch of different guys all all going for the same prize do you just keep playing until there are two winners at, the, at one point? You know what I mean? Like, all yeah. of these questions are so hard uh, to try and, like, stabilize uh, the game and say, you know, this person is the faker of PUBG. I just, I don't think I'll ever yeah. believe it. I don't know. No, I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with that 100%. I think kind of, like, being in an, uh, a kind of one-on-one, -on -one, like, a, a multiplayer situation kind of eliminates a lot of ability for games to be super competitive. Mm -hmm. Right, I think you need like um, either one on one or one team on versus one team. I think I think having it kind of um, set into multiplayer environments, just you know, because in multiplayer environments you ha you have kind of the aspect of you know, well, you know, if team one is clearly the best team, teams two and three are probably going to work to make sure team one is the first one eliminated, um, which is it's it's its own problem, which I don't think you can balance out of out out of multiplayer games in in, in any way. Um, even even if you have like split like rules against explicit collusion, I think there's kind of the the way that things naturally, uh, you, you know, kind of play out, right? Like your top priority is the best team, not the second best team, and so when you go to hunt, when, you know, when you try and uh, when when you choose the 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 targets to focus, it's naturally going to be the top team. Um, and that's just going to lead to the top team having having kind of a uh, a level of uh, uh, of uh, adversary uh, adversarialness, I guess that that you're um, that, that you're unable to to overcome. Yeah. Um, and I don't think PUBG works in a one v one or even a four v four situation. No, I don't think it, I don't think it works in that situation at all. I think it has to be. You know, I think you have to do 25 teams of four in order to make PUBG work. I don't even think you can really do uh, single single people because hundreds of people is just... Yeah, um, Im imagine a fucking eSport where, like, you've got 100 uh, e-athletes that are all on their own. Like, I think it'd be neat, but I also think that that's, like, a, that's a weird kind of place to be in. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Or you know you ha you have to have hundred <laughs> people in order to play your game, um. Uh, yeah, we kind of got away from unintended mechanics there. Um. Uh yeah, I mean you know it's it's in the fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I, I I think I think part of this is that um the the, the kind of like the the final word on unintended mechanics is is fairly kind of simple is you either have to eliminate them or you have to lean into them. You can't just let them sit. Or else they either stale out or become um, pernicious. Do you, do you think you can agree to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also I also think it's interesting to think about unintended mechanics in single player games. You know, because like, uh, what where you know like a lot of the time we just call that emergent gameplay. Yeah. Right. Um, oh. And so kind of what the line is uh, when it comes to those two things is is kind of is kind of neat and interesting, but. 
Uh, yeah, there's you also have, you have so so this is kind of like I don't know I, I, I feel like there's kind of like you you mentioned kind of may, maybe a, a a missing dimension to the games as sport versus games as art, um and when there's no competition on the line, these kinds of things don't matter as much because it just it's it's because it's kind of your own experience with the game, um and the fact that one option is is better than the others isn't as important mm-hmm. um uh and, and i i think that's a whole other dimension to, to kind of explore i think unintended mechanics and single player games um just by their nature don't matter as much kind of like how cheating doesn't matter as much and paying to win doesn't matter as much in single player games other than from kind of like esoteric angles um which kind of loops into uh monolith actually addressed uh the uh the thing that we talked about briefly last week, where they said that the game will be balanced to, to for for the um for full offline play with no with no uh, DLC you know no loot box purchases so um you know at least they're claiming that um, <laughs> um but yeah I, um man I I think I think at some point we have to kind of do a full episode on the multiplayer versus single player experience because I think it's just too different to kind of uh I I think the rules are just fundamentally different there. I think the yeah. more I and you know it's not something I would necessarily would have said fifty episodes ago, but I think the more we talk about these things, the more it's apparent that it doesn't matter. Like the the, the rules are just but, different. To be honest, in my in my head a lot of the difference comes into things uh like uh, uh it's almost like comparing documentary to like you know, like Batman versus Superman. You know what I mean? They're yeah. just like fundamentally, or like documentary is also kind of like a worse. It's it, it's 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 kind of like comparing like I don't know. It's like comparing uh, like a trainee training video, like one of those old training VHS tapes for like working at like Target or something like that, to like a feature film. You know what I mean? They're both clearly using the medium of film, but just for like wildly different purposes um and once you get into that it's you know it's it's they're, they're like yeah i'm sure there are some similarities but there's a lot of differences to parse out i i think you could make it even even more direct comparison i think it's a lot of ways the difference between a sports broadcast and uh and like a movie like i, I yeah 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 that's yeah that's 100 percent fair um, but, uh, but that's our, uh, shit, that's our time, fuck. Uh, so, before we talk about our weeks, I want to re-up, uh, our announcement, uh, that the hundredth episode of Some Dirt to Talk About Games is coming up, and well, for this episode, we're gonna do a and a and we are answering literally everything, uh, and anything, uh, about whatever you guys want to ask, because we don't have a lot of listeners to really feel like paring it down makes any kind of sense. So ask us anything, uh, we will answer it, uh, uh, and also there's some double-sized episodes coming up, uh, for Star Wars, uh, episode 8, the lead-up to that. Uh, the first one is, are we going to be able to do the first one in August? Do you think? Cause we have like Gen Con and everything. Man, we've got, we've got, we've busy. got Gen Con, we've got Starfinder and we've got yeah. Death Note. So I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first one of those will probably, probably be in September. One for the prequels, uh, one for the original trilogy. Those will both be double sized three hour episodes. And then, uh, one for the force awakens, uh, which I'm surprised we never covered on the cast. It, it was really before we decided we want to do, we, we wanted, wanted to, to include movies. movies. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, um, before we started deciding that the nerd canon was something we needed to essentially cover. Um, uh, but yeah, um, do we want to do a little bit on Starfinder right now since we've both kind of dipped our toes into it? Yeah, uh, sure. G- give me your give me your quick you know snapshot thoughts on Starfinder as you're reading it. Um, cool. A lot of a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that sh- like I can't tell if this is me being cynical or just the fact that like there's so only so many pages in the core rulebook, but I see a lot of room for things to be filled in by splat. And I don't know if that's like I don't I don't want to be like Paizo Paizo wants my dollars and is intentionally leaving content out so they have more releases. Okay. Um but I definitely like um I think the biggest place that this comes in is in the weapons section. I don't know if you've gotten to that yet. Um but it feels like there's a lot of room to fill things in. Yeah. Um like one of the one of the kind of core weapons is this thing called like a doshak I think is what it's called, which is a traditional Lashunto weapon, which is one of the new races or one of the old races that got um that got starfinderized. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it is now a core race. Um, and uh, it is the description of it is like it's a traditional uh Lashunto weapon that gets used as a variant axe by some other races, but you know what? There's no axes in the weapon section at all. Um, and I don't know if it's intended that we poured over Pathfinder axes, um, or if, you know, that's just a thing for later down the line, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, weapons of old or whatever is, you know, like a splat book coming soon or whatever. Um, but, uh, I, I think there's just like a lot of room in there to put in a lot more content. Um, on the positive side of that, I think that the way that they've done the leveling system with items, um, leaves a lot of that open. Um, but that, that was, that was the thing that most, that most promptly popped into my mind is that like, it appears that there's a lot of room to grow. Um, and, and, and like they've built the system so that they can grow. Cause, um, specifically again, addressing weapons, adding weapons was always a hard thing to do. Cause it was always just kind of like, and this is a different type of pole arm that is only mm. marginally different from the existing ones. Um, and now because they have different levels, they can be like, well, this is a, a, a different pole arm because it's got like you know, plasma on it and it's, you know, a level three weapon instead of a level two one. I think that that's cool. Um, as much as I think that there, there's some, there's some, uh, stuff that feels like it's missing, but I think in like a little while, all of that will feel fairly good and full. What about you? What are your first impressions? Do I agree with that? Uh, the first impression I'm getting is that it is a incredibly well-built skeleton. Uh, on which to kind of hang uh, the rest of it. I, I actually um, agree with that. I, w- I will say that because I kind I of... think most of... Uh, anytime I read a systems level change, I'm like, oh my god, this is such a great change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I think uh, and I think that the design uh, is... I don't know. I just... I, re- I really like it. I think that it's really... Uh, I think that it's really something. I think it's really strong. Um, I... Uh, what else do I think? Uh... I'm really hyped to play it a bit. A yeah, bunch, I agree. I want to play. To be honest with you, 
I'm seriously considering doing like a drop for Hell's Rebels for like a month, maybe, to just run like a small thing in Path or in Starfinder. I just want to play it so fucking bad, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I've just been thinking about it constantly since I've started reading it. Uh, mostly since I've I, I kind of like read through races and classes um, because I think they're opening up things uh, uh, that are even things that are like kind of legacy rules to be much more. Um, kind of habitable by player characters, right? Like, the ability to gain a climb speed, the ability to gain a swim speed is much easier now. Uh, telepathy, fly, right? Like, things that used to be kind of, like, much heavier investments in Pathfinder are now being opened up to us in Starfinder, and that just has all of these possibilities, and I really love it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I am I'm really on board with most of the races. I mean, I think they've fallen a little bit into the trap of races, wherein they're a little too overly special it feels like uh this is mostly in in, in the form of vesk um who are just like such blatantly good fighters it feels like just like their stat line and their abilities and stuff like that um at the same time uh, uh I, I think the character creation rules mute a lot of that and i was actually <laughs> going to say that i really like i really like the um the kind of races as they are just because like I'm taking this in, in com combination with the first contact PDF, which they released for free RPG day month ago, months ago. Um, and uh, something they, they say in the kind of the intro section is a lot of the fun of space games is, is not only interacting with the alien races, but also playing them and kind of the ability to take any kind of monster race and be like, ah, uh, you get like this stat line, this HP boost and like two abilities and you're good is great. Cause I think it means that you can open up, kind of the race gates a lot more than you used to be able to because it used to have to be a lot more carefully considered. Um, right. Um, like, I am super hyped to at some point play a Han, which is a space spider. Um, mm -hmm. And that is just, just just a race that they have in this, this first contact document um, that is a little bit outside your, you know, your kind of normal purview of races, but it's it, it looks cool. And I'm... Uh, and, like, the fact that it so easily integrates in... Um, and they kind of like leave enough out there. It's like you know the Han are these are these spider things, um, and there's no way that's a, immediately apparent to me how they would hold and fire a gun. But they also I think that that's just left to kind of like yeah figure out how that works. You can do go go run with it. Have yeah. fun sport. Um, and like I think that's kind of a level of freedom that kind of we as RPGs go on. I think there's a tendency to kind of push in this direction, kind of mm -hmm. like a tendency to let players kind of figure that out for themselves and not have to kind of rules, like have explicit rules for it. Um, this is kind of, this is this, this thing I think we've talked about briefly before where like players are allowed to do whatever they want until somebody puts out a feat explicitly letting them do that. Then they have to take the feat to do it. Um, and I think that kind of a fresh reset allows Paizo to kind of step back and uh, let and, and kind of open up the space again. That she has kind of gotten cramped in and muddled by kind of the excess. Like I don't want to say excessiveness, um, but like the uh, the the multitude of of crunch available in the Pathfinder system. Uh, I have a bunch of thoughts about that uh, that I'm sure we'll cover more in depth when it comes to Starfinder in general. Um, the big thing I feel like is that they mostly just 
powered everything up to be about as good as humans. Which I think, uh, you know, on the grand scheme of things is probably, you know, a good way to go. Not necessarily the best, but, you know, like, sort of whatever. Yeah. Right? They basically kept humans the same and were like, you know what, we have to... You know, we we have to make a, a, a race like Vesk and say, you know what, if you just want to play, like, a melee beat-em-up guy, you gotta play a Vesk kind of thing. Um, which is good and bad. I, know, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's actually true. Um, like, like I, I'm curious as to why, why, why you feel that way. Like, they have the better unarmed strikes, but that's, that's like, the stats... They also have, the, they also have like, the armor slot. Uh, they have plus strength, plus con. Um... Yeah, but like so, I feel that the the kind of the the way that the 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 um the point boy system works, since it's not scaling like the old one, that's not mm-hmm. as much of a problem anymore. I think that's actually a great like, I think it's much more feasible to be a exception race or an exception character. Um, you know, like like the the uh the, the one I usually use for pathfinders, it's it's near impossible to be a sorcerer dwarf, um, just because. Um, the penalty for having a minus two to charisma just makes being a functional, uh, or may- being a near optimal sorcerer, sorcerer dwarf, um, near impossible because you have to like sink everything into it. I think it's I think it's much more feasible in uh, in 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 this system to be like uh, in the, the equivalent would be kind of I guess an envoy android. Um, um, I think I think being like any sort of soldier is 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 not is is not uh uh is 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 not beyond any race um i think it's yeah so so i'm sorry so what change did they make between pathfinder and starfinder that makes that different for you um essentially that ability buy is one for one 100 it's there's no scaling on ability buy um you get 10 points to distribute however you want and you never and, and also it caps at 18 I right. see what you're saying. I think I agree with that now that I think about it. Um, well, do um, yeah. I mean, well, well you know yep, what? Let's uh, yep. let, let's table this and we'll think about it and we'll address it in our story. Yeah, I, I hadn't quite I hadn't quite considered it along those lines. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know. And then and then classes seem pretty neat. Uh, they're also a little bit bare bones, a little bit uh, anemic, I guess. Um. Uh, but I, I, you know that's part of the that's part of the skeleton stuff, um, which, which yeah. is kind of fine. Uh, I, my I, favorite class so far is mechanic. Do you have a Do you have a favorite one? Um, it might also be mechanic. Um, oh, okay. Um, I have every intention to play one of those rat people mechanics for our first game because I want to so bad. Oof. I also I want to play like a space goblin mechanic. Um, um, I want to play a space goblin mechanic icon, just kind of like this 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 famous kind. Of, I want to make him like. Like a streamer, like a Twitch streamer. Oh my god! And just be like, he's just like famous guy. He's just like, yeah, I'm the best. Um, but uh, I think that, um, I I think that uh, that'll all kind of like I I think that um, do, do do I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that that actually what you were saying, the classes feel kind of mechanic, uh, anemic, um, are kind of uh in kind of that vein um, of what I was talking about of like, it feels like there's a lot of room for it to grow. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I think in particular, the soldier options, like the fighting styles, I think it needs like one or two more to feel really complete. Um, Yeah. I think soldiers might, might be the most disappointing one. Uh, Mostly because of the way that they talked about it made me really on board for it. But I have a feeling that it's mostly, 
a uh, like a balance concern. I honestly think that they should have gotten rid of the bonus feats. To be frank, I think that so much of the the, the soldier power budget is baked into those bonus feats that they couldn't really power up these specialization powers as much as they they should have. Um, because I read them and I'm like, oh my god, this is so cool. Uh, and then I, uh, and then I like sit and read the powers and I'm like, wow, these are really weak compared to what I think they should be. Yeah. They also, it also feels like you get them a little bit late. Um, and a little bit infrequently too. If I got, if I got one of these specialization powers every other level, I frankly, I just, that, that is the, that's my big down. If, if, if there's, if there's anything that I'd like not sold on, on, on Starfinder, it's this soldier class. This has really got me down in the, down in the dumps on, uh, on, on how they designed this class. But you know, I don't know, maybe fucking, I don't know whatever yeah um i i agree with you but i i also think that maybe that'll be a little bit less bad feeling when there's more feats to choose from too because um have you read all the feats yet yeah yeah i read all the feats some of them i mean like like i said some of them are cool i like that you can just take a feat to get a swim speed i think that's great yeah Right? What a fucking fantastic change. You can um, take a speed to get a swim speed. You can buy a cybernetic to get a swim speed. You can buy a cybernetic to get dark vision. Um, you can install an armor slot to get dark vision. Um, it's kind of like the way that there are like seven ways to get anything. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that stuff is awesome. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and I, I think, like I said, I, th I think that like once the system kind of gets blown out. And I, I honestly, I'm thinking that like, there's going to be a lot in these early days of, of me being like, hey, GM, can I use this thing from Pathfinder Core adjusted in this way, please? Yeah. Um, and I think that'll fill in a lot of the gaps until we get a lot of the official stuff. Um, uh, and, but I do think that a lot of the, uh, a lot, like, a lot of the kind of core considerations there are good, though. Like, the fact that there are only six levels of spells and, like, you only get access to broken magic at level 20 is, is great. Mm -hmm. um like what is like wish and miracle are the 20th level features of mystic and technomancer yeah uh, i think that's i think that's solid yeah um but uh i think we should hold off um on anything else until we yeah do the full, uh what the full uh what else have you been up to this week um i've been playing a lot of PUBG. played a little bit of hearthstone um, oh yeah, so so the new expansion came out. So how how have you been playing the new Hearthstone expansion? Um, not a I, I haven't been playing it enough to offer any a real full thoughts on it, but kind of like I've watched some, uh, I watched the guy who the guy the dog who used to do the old heart uh, toy stealer videos came out of retirement because of the new priest legendary that copies your opponent's deck and throws it into your deck. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been watching his videos. I have that card. Uh, actually that card I got that card in a pack. <laughs> I, I want it so bad. Um, um but he's been he's he plays wild because he uses like one of each of the fun toy stealer cards and then Harrison Jones and it's uh it looks phenomenal. Um uh but that's uh, all my 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 initial impressions are like Toy Stealer is back and I love I love that. So um I look forward to playing some Toy Stealer in the future, but I'm sure you have more experience than me, so what are your impressions? I don't have more experience than you. I've mostly been going through the single-player stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, playing, like, those, like, bosses or whatever. Uh, I tell myself that I really can't get back too much into play mode stuff because then I'll get into, like, then I'll get too into it and I'll start, like, spending too much money on it again. Yeah, 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 um, I know what you mean. But, uh, um, 
Uh, yeah, I, I like these. Uh, I really like the, their single-player experiences, and I like that they're just, like, baking them into the expansion um, outright, which seems like a good idea to me. I actually really like adventures, and I wish they kept, like, they held on to adventures uh, as, like, a concept a little bit more, but, you know, releasing an adventure with every expansion does seem like the right way to go. Yeah, I uh, agree. Which is, you know, which is cool. Um... What I like that I it's free too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also, I also kind of like like that it's free and that, that you know you get stuff as you beat stuff. That 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 all feels good. Yeah, uh, I, it was always a little bit weird to like buy the full adventure and then like sit there and kind of like uh, like have to go beat all of these NPC bosses in order to unlock the cards that you just theoretically bought. Yeah, I actually think that I think it's actually kind of a genius move because. Every time up until now that I've gone to go back into Hearthstone, it's kind of felt like I don't have enough of the card base to really get back into it. So maybe this will be the thing where it's like, well, if I play through the adventure, not only will I be back in the groove, I'll have enough cards to kind of um, to kind of be like vaguely competitive to build something out. Because um, I think this started this experiment started with the Cthulhu expansion because you got Cthulhu for free, um, and I think it's like, oh well, I've got enough that I can build something that's neat um and uh and yeah and and if we build something that's neat then i'll be able to play a little bit more and maybe i'll keep playing maybe i'll buy more cards um and maybe i'll start spending money on it again um right which is i'm, I'm sure what this is this is trying to do i'm just trying to get people back like i'm sure that getting a player back into the game is worth more than 20 dollars that you get on those single player expansions because i i like Never bought the um, what's it called the uh the Knight in Karazhan, um, ex uh, single player adventure or the Harrison Jones one, but uh, I don't even know if I can get that anymore. I don't even remember. I think it's really weird that they have disallowed you to be able to go back and get old adventures. It seems so odd to me. Is it but, disallowed yeah. or? I I don't know. I thought that was the case though. Yeah, because um, I I went and looked at it. I didn't see it, and I was like, I guess I don't have access to this anymore. Um. Um, that feels like a thing that, like, in, like, six months, they'll be like, yeah, everybody gets copies of these cards because we just allowed it and, you know, matters for wild enough that we don't want to disallow it or something. I yeah, don't know. I, I just feel like it would be free cash, to be honest, but whatever. Uh, and then what else? Uh, I guess we've been playing PUBG. I feel like nothing much has changed. I mean, first-person first co-op, or, sorry, first-person squads came out. Yeah. Um, so are you are you all about that first-person... So, I've been playing it almost exclusively. I don't know if I... I mean, kind of like my, my kind of base impression is that um, it doesn't matter too much to me. Like, it doesn't, like... I, I, I don't feel any... Like, the only thing I can say about it is I think I'm worse at it than at third person. Because um, I am all about that coward tech. Um, uh... And so maybe I'm enjoying it a little bit less because I'm winning less, but maybe I'll just get that back with time. Um, but it doesn't matter so much to me, but I think for the people that it does matter for, it matters a lot. And so I'm happy enough to go along with it. Um, although I do think kind of you can see the edges where this game wasn't designed for first person. Like, th things feel like they're at weird heights. Um, like, the things on top of crates, like... The, like, it feels like you shouldn't be able to pull them off the top of the crates based on kind of, like, what it looks like at, at, like, if I were designing this game from the ground up for first person, 
I would make the crates a little bit shorter so it feels better pulling things off the top of them, like on like in like a quarry or like a lumberyard situation. Um, and things seem like they're at like weird heights for first for first person. Um, but and and also like the driving feels really weird. Like driving the dossier. Driving is definitely the worst thing. That is the worst. Driving the dossier in particular is 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 so like. Driving the motorcycle, the sidecar motorcycle, is always the worst. Um, but in terms of, like, th- how much worse it gets from third person to first person, I think it's the Dacia. Just because the um, uh, the, uh, the the field of view, not the, the first person field of view, but the, the windshield, the, the roof, and the dashboard are so close to each other that seeing out the window is disorienting um, and not great. Um and I know that seems, like, very particular, but, like, it feels really bad. Like, I am willing to, like, I like I now, like, kind of obsessively switch to U- UAZs if I can find them. Just because, like, it's it's so much easier to see out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really hope that they do a thing where if you're in the driver's seat, you get a third-person view, but everybody else gets the first-person view still. Yeah, um, I think... I think that would be the best option. Um, but somebody, uh, friend of the cash, Charles, mentioned that... Um, he, the, the immediate thing he thought of when that happens is like keeping a car near you. That way you could jump into third person mode and peek around corners and that potentially being a problem. But that, that also seems just like a little bit too out there for that. Yeah. That seems, that seems like too. Yeah. Um, cause it's also, it's also a little bit like, I, I just think that doesn't make any sense in a practical scenario. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the kind of thing that immediately comes to mind when you immediately consider it. And then if you think about it, it doesn't seem like a huge deal, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, may, maybe, maybe they'll add it and like, you know, it'll be like the new meta to just kind of like keep a motorcycle with you at all times. So you can peek around corners. Um, uh, um, but, uh, um, I am finding myself kind of starting to drift into the level of like, I care enough about this game that I'm starting to read about like minor differences. Um, and it not helped by the fact there's no authoritative sources. Like I've got this ongoing argument with friend of the show X about which is better, um, a vertical foregrip and an angled foregrip. It's not really an argument. It's just kind of like we've got two conflicting sources that say different things about what they actually do. Right, um, right. And so who knows? Um, uh, the other thing is that, um, you know, I've been reading, like something that seems to be definitely true is that shotguns act real stupid in that, like, there is, instead of being like a burst of bullets, there's actually one bullet that's kind of like uh, the quote-unquote mother bullet that like that bullet has to hit something and that determines everything for the spread. Like if it misses, the whole shot misses. If that mother bullet oh hits the pan, God, I the, know this. Um, and some somebody pointed out this is why shotguns feel feel bad up close, but overpowered long range. Because if the mother bullet hits long range, you get a good spread. Right. Um, and if, if the, uh, mother bullet misses like short, like if it hits so that like, it looks like approximately half of the shotgun should hit you. Um, sometimes it'll just miss. Um, also like if that mother bullet hits like the handle of the pan on the back of your model, even though you're facing the person, the whole shot gets blocked by the pan. Yeah. Uh, that, this kind of design is actually something that was common to shotguns, uh, for a while. Like I want to say the first Halo's shotgun behaved this way where like, it you know it said that it did like 12 damage but for eight pellets or whatever but either all of your pellets hit or all of them missed 
um, depending on if like the whatever this mother mother bullet would do. Uh, though that terminology is, I I've never seen that before. Um, and also if the mother bullet crits, then they all crit, kind of a thing. Um, and that has slowly been uh uh like dialed back in in recent like and and, and the, the, I'm told that this was like a processor thing you know what I mean like you couldn't model the, like shooting 16 bullets at once uh in in the olden days but now it's very easy to do that uh so yeah man holy shit do I hope that they fix that yeah um this is like you the critical thing apparently if if the if the Kind of the mother bullet is something I saw on Reddit, so that's not an official term or anything. But like, if the prime bullet hits the head, all the shots are headshots. Um, that's why it can wreck so bad, because um, uh, you can get like twelve pellets on the like. God, that's awful design. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that really fucks up. Um, but I feel like that's the thing that I think that is the thing that's excused by early access and kind of first mm. passes. Yeah, I do think that's something that can get worked out. Definitely. Um. Um, which is kind of why like. I don't know. I, um, I, I, I was, it makes a lot of sense to me. Cause like I find my most success with the, uh, with the shotgun is actually kind of at like mid range where I kind of like point in the direction and like shoot. And then like, I'll knock somebody down and you're like, yeah, great. Um, whereas like, unless like close range, it's like kind of hit or miss if I'm like slightly off center or not. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think that's, I think that's good Intel. Um, yeah, the last thing I want to talk about, because it happened just before the podcast, uh, is they released the campaign map for Total War Warhammer 2, which is awesome, and I'm super fucking hyped for it. Uh, on the campaign map, actually, one of the coolest things they seem to have done is done their very best to integrate as many of the old world races into the new world campaign map as possible. Um, so there's a lot of places, like there's this place called the Settler's Coast, uh, with a faction that is called uh, the New World Colonies, right? That's like an Empire's faction. Um, there's a bunch of dwarf factions uh, on Lustria, uh, which is like the kind of South America continent, right? Uh, there's beastmen factions all over, right? There's this whole Africa continent. Uh, one of the cool things that they've done is Araby, which is like a historical kind of like, uh, kind of like Arab uh, faction. Wait, it, it has wait. been... You're telling me that the one named Araby is like Arabs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. Anyway, they are they they start conquered by Bretonian factions, which is actually a callback to like the Crusades, kind of. Oh, um, like okay. The Bretonians yeah, yeah, go yeah. on these Crusades, and so like the coast of Araby, um, the pirate coast of Araby, and the land of assassins, as it's called, are all uh, occupied by Bretonian factions um, that have names. Uh, like uh, the Knights of the Flame, the Knights of Origo, and Thagen's Crusaders, uh, which I am told by the comments on Reddit is actually a callback to 1st and 2nd edition Warhammer in the 80s uh, stuff. There's also a Wood Elf faction in the in kind of like the Congo area of, uh, of the Southlands, which is what Africa is called, called Heart of the Jungle, which also pulls from 80s lore, um, and, and like a Wood Elf guy named Orion, um, not to be confused with Orion, the actual, like, Wood Elf faction leader. 
Uh, but maybe the coolest thing is that they have um, these, like, bigger, like, so there's, like, all of the icons, right? You know, like, there's, like, a big kind of stone diamond thing or, like, like, like octagon thing for the lizard bin, right? And it will be bigger if that, if that is, like, the implied legendary lord start. So, like, for instance, uh, you know, in Ulthuan, where the high elves start, there is a faction called Lothern, um, which is... Uh, a little bit bigger, which is implied to say, like, okay, look, if you choose this high elf faction, you start here. You know what I mean? Um, but there are ruins all over the map. Uh, and these ruins, uh, there are a couple of them. One in uh, in the Southlands, uh, in, or I'm sorry, one in Lustria, which is South America, uh, called the Lost Valley, that is, that is bigger, which suggests a legendary lord start. And then another one in the southern Southlands, which is bigger, that suggests uh, a legendary lord start uh, for the fourth playable race, which has yet to be announced, but everyone thinks is Skaven. Even cooler, um, there is a list of all of the different factions, um, and one of them, uh, and all of them are four-letter words, and then, like, or like there's like four ex or four question marks and then a certain like a differing number of like question marks kind of on like the other side of it, uh, which fits into Skaven lore where everything is clans and so you'll have like clan pestilence, clan mores uh, and yeah, if you yeah. match the letters you get clan mores and clan pestilence seem to be confirming those two legendary lord lords uh, or the legendary lords for Thwanquil no, uh, uh, sorry Skrulk and Queek. God, I'm so fucking hyped for this game, uh, and for those uh, and for those spots, man, holy shit! So yeah, so I'm, um, gonna, I'm gonna do everything I can to like take apart this map. You have no idea. Is this map <coughs> um, larger than uh, than the original? It honestly does seem to be definitionally larger than uh, than the old world map, um, because you you can see spots where uh, the southern badlands, which is the very bottom of uh, uh, of the old world map. Uh, meets up with uh, the Southlands, uh, and you can also see spots where, like, the very top, uh, like Albion, which is another, uh, which is like an island in the game. Um, Albion is in the first, is in the first game, and kind of like in the, in the like the northwest corner, um, uh, which is kind of like a British. It's like where the British Isles are, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it seems to imply this map is just huge comparatively, like it's just gigantic, um, which is awesome, I guess. Do you think it'll have still have, or is it still gonna have the same uh, kind of like half the factions fight over half the land, the other half fight over fight over the other half? No, I actually think it'll be a little bit different. Um, there are a lot of factions that seem to be able to possess mountain holds. Uh, it looks as though, for instance, the dwarves that they have uh, that they have shown um, are still in, inhabiting like dwarf hold kind of like mountain territories. Uh, there's also some green skins uh, on the map that seem to be doing the same thing, um, uh, but uh, the uh, there are there are like elves and stuff like that that have uh, settlements that look to just kind of be mountains. Um, so I don't know, maybe they'll be able to do everything. I know that in the combined map they are changing it so that every race can occupy every uh, like every kind of territory. Okay, that makes that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just kind of necessary um, because otherwise, you know, you get kind of caught into some problems of, uh, you know, th there's more problem for orcs and dwarves because they have to like, they have to go the, the distance essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but finding a place for them to, to like settle down and like actually make 
uh, like make settlements that they have to like go through huge swaths of territory before they can like find a spot to settle. Yeah, that that makes that makes sense. But um, uh, but yeah, so that's 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 that. Yeah, that seems like uh, our time. Um, so uh, if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think of unintended mechanics in games or uh, Total Warhammer Two or uh, Starfinder, you can email us at some at podcast at some you can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash games. You can uh, uh, follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can leave and rate us, review us on uh, iTunes. You can uh, uh, follow us on Twitter as well. Um, all links are in the description. Um, I think that's about it. Um, send in those questions for the 100 episode spectacular. Uh, next week, we will be at Gen Con. This, this episode is actually being recorded early, uh, which is why there's not a ton of stuff for us to talk about in between um uh and so next episode will be uh either at gen con or a recap we haven't decided yet we tried to do an episode at gen con last year and it failed spectacularly um so maybe it'll just be a recap but uh that will be next week and then the following will probably be starfinder and that will probably be at uh freaking uh what's it called uh death note at that point yeah jeez, oh, god wow time is just flying yeah absolutely um uh, but I think that's it. Buddy, did you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to plug. In that case, until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time. Thank you, listeners. <laughs>